be blessed by it. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And hey, while, I'm, uh, while you're turning there, just agree with me real quick. I just got a couple of things that I want to lift up. We've got some people in our church on our leadership team and even some, some families in our church that are just kind of going through some things. So I want to lift them up tonight. And then uh, I want to take an opportunity here real quick to lift up our farmers. We've got quite a few farmers in our church and they're in the middle of their harvesting and uh, working their late hours and their early mornings. And so we just want to take a opportunity real quick to lift up these individuals uh, to God. Uh, as a church family, we're going to come alongside them and strengthen them and encourage them. So if you would, uh, just touch and agree with me real quick. Father, we thank you right now for this family, for this church that you have brought together. You have birthed this thing. Father, we thank you that uh, there is no weapon formed against us that will prosper. And even though there are weapons that are formed, even though there are trials and tests that come against this church and against these families, Father, I thank you right now that we have the equipping and the encouragement to come alongside them and to strengthen them, Father. I thank you right now for every family that's going through either a sickness or uh, uh, some kind of ailment in their body. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe uh, it, it's a marital thing they're going through. But, Father, I thank you right now that we can undergird these families. We can come up under them, strengthen them, and encourage them in the word, and lift them up to you, Father. You know exactly what need it is. You know exactly where they're at. We've got people right now that aren't even uh, in uh, uh, at their homes. They're out of town trying to help be uh, a blessing and meet a need to someone, Father. And I thank you right now that you meet them right where they're at. You know exactly what situation they're in. You know exactly what the circumstance is. So, Father, I thank you that you send ministering angels to, to minister to these families, minister to these individuals, whether it's grandparents or parents or aunts or uncles that are in the hospital, whether it's an ailment that's going on in their own body. Whatever it is, Father, I thank you right now that you touch them uh, and, and meet them at their need in Jesus' name. Father, and we lift up every farmer. We lift up their families right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you right now, first of all, for a prosperous harvest. And all the work that's been done all year long, the seed that's gone in the ground, Father, I thank you that it is fruitful, that it contains the seed. I don't care what the weather has been like. I don't care what the market says. I don't care what other individuals are getting. I thank you for the favor of God upon these individuals that you uh, uh, are watching over them that as they put their hand to the plow, as they're working this thing, Father, I thank you that you are meeting them right where it's at. I thank you for the long hours and the time that they're putting in, and you see the work that's going in, Father, and you have your hand upon their crops, upon their finances, upon uh, their lives and their families. I thank you for the wives and the children, uh, that there is a grace during this season that as their husbands are away and, and working these extra hours, that you are uh, coming alongside them and being an encouragement to them, Father, being a blessing so that they can help strengthen even their husband through these seasons. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our church and in our families. We thank you that you are answering these needs in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm on TV. I'm on TV tonight. That's awesome. We are live. Don't want to say anything. They might be recording. All right, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Title of my message tonight is Saving the Best for Last. Saving the Best for Last. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're waiting on a blessing, we're waiting on a need, and God's just been saving the best for last. Amen. Uh, you know, we've been looking 
uh, on Sundays at Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. And remember, it talks about the vision. And he says, though it may tarry, wait for it. How many of you know God's got some great things in store for us if we'll just be patient? Isn't that right? God's got some awesome things in store for us. And if we'll just wait it out, if we'll endure the test, endure the trial, we will see that great thing. He who promised is faithful to perform. And so God is uh, a lot of times saving the best for last. And here in John chapter 2, many of us have heard this story before. Verse 1 says, "On on On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, first of all, I just want to stop right there. Just think about Jesus, the son of God, the son of the living God. But, you know, he lived a normal life, guys. He got invited to weddings, too. He's invited to a wedding here. Somebody, somebody that he knows is getting married, and they said, hey, we want you to be at our wedding. Now, of course, you always want the son of God at your wedding. You want Jesus at your wedding. But this is before he's performed any miracles. This is before he's done any type of ministry at this point. And so he's invited to his weddings and to this wedding, and so are his disciples. Though that he's those individuals that he's already handpicked, he's already drawn to say, You come alongside me and help me in ministry. They have been invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Uh, Everybody loves it when people just come to you with problems, right? Hey, we're out of wine. And and, and look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, woman, what what does your concern have to do with me? Doesn't that sound like compassionate, loving Jesus? Doesn't that sound like the Jesus that we've all grown up seeing that carries a sheep around everywhere he goes and, uh, you know, has children sitting on his lap all the time? And he says, what does this problem have to do with me? What do you want me to do about it, is what he's saying. Why are you bothering me with this? My hour has not yet come. Now, husbands, I would not uh, encourage you to respond to your wife uh, in such manner. Your, might, your night might not go so well. Uh, but that was Jesus' response to his mom. I wouldn't encourage you to respond to your mom that way either. Uh, but his mother said to the servants, his mother absolutely disregards his response. And she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. I wonder how many of us in this room, God is uh, saying the same thing. Whatever I say to you, do it. Whatever. That's (laughs) open-ended. Sometimes we put a limitation on, if God tells me to do this, I'll do it. Or if he tells me to do it at this time, I'll do it. But... It's open-ended, whatever. Everybody say whatever, whatever. He says whatever he, whatever God says. doesn't say whatever anybody says, whatever he says. So whatever God says. My only responsibility is to do whatever God says. I don't have to do what people tell me to do. I don't have to do what that other pastor said to do. I don't have to do what they're doing at that ministry. It's whatever he says, says means I have to be listening, right? Whatever he says, well, says goes two ways. God can be saying stuff, and if I'm not listening, it's not helping me. Whatever he says to do, action. Now some action just showed up. 
whatever he says to do, do. That means there's some action on my part. There's something I've got to put into practice. There's something I've got to apply. Whatever he says to do, do it. Do it. Put that into practice. So whatever he says to do, do it. Now, verse 6, there were setting there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. These jugs are just sitting there by ceremonial purpose. That means they just it's tradition. They're always there. They've always been sitting there. That This is tradition. This is a regular ritual, a regular practice. This wasn't something new. These have always been sitting here holding 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, to the servants, fill the water pots with water. Now, we're not looking for water, right? We need wine. We're looking for wine. The answer to our solution, the answer to the problem at hand is wine. That is my end goal, my end result. And he says, fill the water pots that have been sitting nearby. They've been sitting there the whole time. Fill them with water, something that doesn't seem like it can get you to the end goal. Fill these water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. They filled them up as high as they could go, put everything in. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. See, so people don't know where you got your miracle from. You, they're just seeing the product, but you know the process. They, they, they see a miracle take place in your life, and they think it just happened like that. And you're thinking, man, you don't know what happened. You don't know the behind the scenes. You don't know what's been going on. It's kind of like um, anybody ever seen like a UFC fight? Um, have you ever seen any of those UFC fights end really quick? A lot of times you have to pay to watch those things. And that's, you know, that's disappointing. You're cheering for the guy, but you're thinking, man, couldn't you have at least gone a couple rounds? I feel like I can get my money's worth here. Uh, you know, you just, you just knocked the guy out in 30 seconds. And on our side, it looks easy. And he says, it took me 60 seconds to knock the guy out, but it took me six months just to get here. Right? Because you don't know the process. All you got was the product. See, the master didn't know that we had to get this water into wine. You're getting the wine, but you didn't see it when it was water. The master didn't know. The master didn't know where it came from. And look what it says in parentheses. See, sometimes your life is in parentheses. Your life is what's in parentheses. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. (laughs) You knew. You knew what it looked like when you're wondering, where's this miracle coming from? You knew what it was looked like uh, when there wasn't any money in the account. You knew what it looked like when the sickness just seemed like it was getting worse. You knew what it looked like when the marriage wasn't getting healed. You knew what it looked like. The people on the outside didn't know what it looked like, but you knew the process. They're just getting the product. Sometimes your life is the life in parentheses. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, that means when they got so drunk that they didn't know what they were drinking anymore, then we pull out the stuff that they can't even taste, 
right, is what he's saying. But you, you have kept the good one until now. Now look at verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And I want to pull out a a few points out of this message, and I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's an encouragement to you today. First of all, we see here uh, that Jesus and his disciples are attending a wedding. And, And Jesus is not attending this wedding, obviously, with any idea of what kind of need can I answer? What kind of miracle can I perform? But Mary quickly presents him with a problem. Uh, you know, for me as a leader, uh, you know, uh, our leadership has heard this before. I'm looking for problem solvers, not problem finders. Anybody can find a problem. You, you know, it's not hard to find that individual that can just come up with all kinds of problems and tell you everything that's going wrong. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you were here on Sunday. Uh, I think most of you were. Sunday was a problem service for us. And some of you may not even notice. Did anybody notice a guitar problem? Okay, there's a few of you. Some of you didn't. Some of you are like, what? Good. We'll leave it that way. But we had a guitar technical malfunction. Did anybody hear the malfunction with the keyboard? Okay, everybody caught that one. That one was a little more obvious, especially when I tell Lisa to just go have a seat. And, you know, it's getting out of hand. But everyone heard the pretty music that would just uh, uh, quickly interrupted by bong. And then we go back to pretty music, and then we get another bong. Yeah, that, that's not fun. That's a problem. And, uh, you know, it's easy to find problems. Uh, but Jesus here uh, has his mother come to him with a problem. But here's the question. Here's the question. We've all got problems in life. We've all got issues. We've all got things that we're going through. We've all got struggles that we're going through. But are we seeing problems Or are we seeing opportunity? See, Mary wasn't just concerned with why. I mean, think about it. Let's just think about it. Let's just think this thing out loud. Why are we coming to Jesus, the son of God, who by trade is a carpenter, and coming to him with a beverage problem? At a wedding that, I mean, you know, you're you're thinking... Uh, you know, let's just put, your, put ourselves in Jesus' shoes real quick. The first thing that's coming to my mind is, this ain't my wedding. <laughs> I'm not the one getting married. I'm not the one that invited all these guests here. I'm not the one that has to endure the embarrassment of running out of something that we're supposed to be serving. All right? Uh, you know, those are just some thoughts going in my brain. This isn't even my problem. Anybody ever been presented with a need that just wasn't your need? People come to you with a problem or an issue that at the end of the day, you're going, you're going to sleep at night and you're not even thinking twice about it. It doesn't concern me. Woman, why are you bringing this to me? This doesn't even concern me. On top of that, my hour has not yet come. But see, Mary knew what was inside. Mary knew what Jesus, her son, the son of God, was capable of. Why? Because before Jesus ever showed up, before she was ever even impregnated with him, an angel visited her and said, you are going to bear a son, and he's going to be conceived to you by the Holy Spirit, because you're going to carry the Son of God in your womb, and you're going to give birth to God. You are going to bring the Son of God into the world. So she knew. 
She knew what this guy was capable of. She knew what her son could do. She knew that her son had power to meet a need even before his time has even come. Every need is an opportunity for us to meet a need. Every need is an opportunity. So the question is, is we just have to change our perspective. Are we changing our perspective? Do we just see need or do we see opportunity? Do we see need? Do we have our eyes open to the needs that are around us, even maybe needs that don't concern us? And do we still see an opportunity to be a blessing someone? Sure, at the end of the day, it doesn't concern you. At the end of the day, uh, if they run out of the wine, it's not hurting Jesus. It's not hurting his ministry. It does not deter him one way or the other. But his mom, Mary, sees an opportunity. Do we see problem or do we see opportunity? The next thing that Jesus says is, my time has not yet come. In essence, he's saying this, uh, and, and, and we could really pull a few things from this, but one thing he might be saying is, is, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to meet. I, 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 it's not my time. Look, there's always going to be opportunities for us to meet needs that we feel are beyond us. You'll always have an opportunity to be a blessing that you feel Man, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready. I don't feel anointed enough. I don't feel capable enough. I don't feel qualified enough. I don't feel that I have the answer to meet that need. But Jesus' response here is, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. But what does Mary do? Mary just completely disregards that statement. Mary just completely, why? Because she's not looking at the man on the outside. She's looking at what's on the inside. Her expectation level of what her son Jesus can do in this very moment with this need isn't based upon what phase of ministry he's in or what he's capable of doing right now. Uh, Her expectation is there's something on the inside of you. And so she's set her expectation. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about what's in you. Meeting the need is not about you. Meeting the need is not about your... uh, Uh, ability you may have heard me make this statement before it's not about your ability it's about your availability sometimes god wants to use people that don't have the ability in fact if you read the word you'll find that a lot of times Uh, mary is very familiar with this because mary wasn't able to she was just available She's too young. She's not even married. She hasn't. Uh, 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 she does not have the capability to carry a child. Yet God picks her and says, "You're going to carry something for me." Uh, you know, there, I think of individuals like Moses. Moses had the audacity to sit in front of a burning bush and give God every excuse why he shouldn't be the one to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. I mean, you are looking at a tree that is on fire but not being consumed, and you're going to tell God, you can't use me. (laughs) That's not possible. I mean, you're looking at a very image of what God can do, and you're going to respond and say, man, I can't talk right. Uh, I, I I can't go back 
to the country that I just ran from because I killed somebody. Uh, I don't have influence there. God, you got the wrong person. You're going to respond back to God. I think of guys like Gideon. Gideon, who's found at the bottom of the wine press. And God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Yeah, but when the need arises, God is just wanting to know, can I use you? He's not asking, can you do it? He's asking, can I use you? That's all he wants to know. Can I use you? You don't have to feel ready to be ready. You don't have to feel ready to be ready. We have to be people uh, in the kingdom that when we see a need arise, we're not asking why. We're asking how. We're not asking why me. We're asking how can I? When I see a need, that's an opportunity for me to step in and say, how can I meet that need? Do I have any way? God, how do you want to use me to be a blessing to this individual? This doesn't even concern me. That need doesn't even have anything to do with me. On top of that, I don't even have the ability to meet the need, even if I wanted to meet the need. But God, is there a way? How can I meet that need? How can I position myself for you to use me to be a blessing? And that's what Mary sees. That's what Mary sees. And so she completely disregards his uh, excuses of this doesn't concern me and it's not my time. And she turns around to the servants and says, now listen, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She's already moved on to the next thing while Jesus is still standing there with his arms in the air saying, what? (laughs) What? Me? So Jesus in turn turns to the servants and he he tells them, Go find me some wine. No, that's not what he says. He says, go find me some water. And then fill those pots. See, God isn't asking you to go get something that doesn't exist. He's asking you to use what already exists. He's asking you to use what you already have. God, I don't have 50 bucks to give him. Well, you got 10. God, I, 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 I don't know uh, 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 what their current situation even is. I don't know the details, but you can still pray. I, I don't, I, I've never been through their situation, but you can still give a hug. It's that simple, guys. Sometimes we miss what God wants to th- do through us because we miss what we already have. Jesus turns to these servants and says, In essence, use what you got. See these jars over here that are always there? These are here for traditional ritual purposes. This is for ceremonial washing. These things, I'm wanting you to just use what you've already got. I know you've never used those to fill up with wine before. I know that they've always just been used to fill up with water, and then we use them for washing. But now we're going to use that pot for this purpose. And God is just asking us to look around and say, God, what can I use? What do I have in my possession? Can I say a prayer with someone? Can I give someone a hug? Can can I give them, uh, buy them a meal? Can I be a blessing to these individuals? He's asking us to use what we already have. He would not ask you to use it if you didn't have it. It might require us to get creative. 
Jesus had to get creative here. Jesus is having to think, okay, now how, how am I going to get one? And he starts with what I have. Okay, we've got, some, we've got six water pots over here. I know they've always been used for ceremonial washing. I know this is a Jewish tradition. But today they're going to become wine kings. Oh, and we've got water? Yeah, we've got water. I know we need wine, but let's just start with water and let's see what God can do with some wine. He's asking them to use what you got. God wants us to use. God wants to use what you already have. God wants you to use what you already have. He wouldn't ask you to do it if you didn't have the ability to do it. God wants to use what you already have. So we've got to quit waiting on God for a different vessel. I mean, Jesus could easily looked around and, and, and said, well, I mean, I just, I don't have what I need to make wine. Let's see, I would need some grapes and I would need a wine press. And I don't, I don't have these things. I don't have what I need to make what you need. But I'm just going to pull on what I got. I got six water pots and some water. Let's see what we can do with that. <laughs> Let's see what God can do with what we have. Quit waiting on God to use a different vessel. Go ahead and use what you've got. And notice it was something ordinary, traditional, something ordinary. Uh, again, are we missing out on God using us because we're looking for something extraordinary? And he's saying, I just want to, I just want to use something ordinary. That's all I'm looking for. Next thing, he tells them to fill these water, fill these pots with water. And he says, draw out so you can take it to the master. Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Notice he doesn't say draw out some wine and take it to the master of the feast. You know, uh, preachers like to get crazy on this kind of stuff. We, we love uh, opportunities to kind of just brainstorm and just kind of, you know, here's what I think might have happened, and I, I don't have any idea. But I, I, I can almost promise you, just based upon Scripture and based upon how God operates, that it did not turn to wine in there to where the servants could have the security blanket of, wow, I've, I've got wine. I think that there had to be a little bit of faith on the servant's part that had to dip a vessel in there, pull it out, and say, it's just water all i have is water and somewhere between the water pot and the master it turned into wine somewhere in there i just believe that's how god likes to operate i just believe that god wants us to have full trust in him and somewhere in between pulling it out and walking it to the master it turned into the end result that they were looking for that's just what i believe but you know when you look at this story the, the servant's job is really very simple. It's really very simple. Fill water pots with water. Pull some out and take it to the master. Where in there does the servant have the responsibility of changing anything? Nowhere. 
They're simply carriers. God isn't expecting you to change it. He's just expecting you to carry it. And many times we put the responsibility on ourselves of changing what God has only told us to carry. Many times we look at the problem, we look at the solution, we devalue our role, we devalue ourselves, we devalue what God has placed in our hands. Use what you've got. This is just ordinary water pots. This is just ordinary water. I need some wine, and I need some wine that's going to impress somebody. It can't just be any wine. It's got to be special wine. And we carry that weight when God is saying, all I'm asking you to carry is what I put in your hand. I'll do the changing. You're not a changer. You're just a carrier. In essence, what he's saying is this. Attach your obedience to God's power. Attach your obedience to God's power. Again, going back to our examples of Moses. Was it Moses' responsibility to part the Red Sea? No. But what did God say do? Take that rod, that ordinary rod, nothing special about it, that stick that you got off the ground, stretch it out over the waters, and I will part the water. Gideon, Gideon, I'm not expecting you to go and fight an army of 120,000 with 300 men. I'm just asking you to obey because if you will obey me, I can now attach my power to your obedience. He's not looking for your power. He's looking for your obedience because God can use vessels that will obey. That's what he's looking for. And so, yeah, that might mean that I've got to go and just grab my ordinary and watch God make it extraordinary. I'm just going to take what's ordinary. I'm just going to take what he's already placed in my hand. I know it doesn't look like much, but when I attach, I'm not attaching my ordinary. I'm attaching my obedience. And if I will obey him with my ordinary, he will make it extraordinary. Let God do the work. It's not up to us. He's not asking you to change it. He's asking you to carry it. And again, we go back to Mary. I can think of a time when Mary was asked to carry something. Asked to carry the Son of God. Something that might have seemed beyond her. I'm just an ordinary girl. But man, God loves using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Don't devalue yourself. Don't devalue your role in a miracle. Don't devalue your role in what God wants to use you to be, to do, to be a blessing. It's not about you. He didn't pick you because you went to school. He didn't pick you because you had the right amount of money. He didn't pick you because you understand this scenario. He didn't pick you because you grew up on the right side of the tracks. He didn't pick you because you got so many friends. He didn't pick you because you've been in church for so long. He didn't pick you because you just love God so much. He picked you because he's just looking for a vessel to move through. Don't miss out on what God wants to do through you. Because we devalue who we are. In the end, our job is really simple. In the end, the servants had to do very little work. Fill some water pots. 
with water. Draw out that water and take it to the master. It's that simple, guys. We're the ones that make the obedience factor so much more difficult. But I don't understand their situation. I've never been through that. I don't have enough money. We can play that game all day long. At the end of the day, God is just asking you to be obedient with what you have. Now, the last point I want to pull out really hit home for me. Because this miracle and, and this scenario, you know, John writes in his book, he, he says that there were so many things that took place in Jesus's ministry that if the ocean was ink and the sky was paper, it still wouldn't be able to contain all that Jesus did, right? And so if John's going back through his book and he's editing this thing and trying to figure out what do I cut and what do I keep, this one kind of seems like one that's not even worth mentioning. I mean, you talk about some of the miracles that Jesus did, casting out demons, healing lepers, raising the dead. I mean, Honestly, this this one almost bothers me because I don't really see it as a miracle. I, I almost see it more like a magic trick. Now you see water, now you see wine. I mean, it, uh, what part of this is affecting anybody's life? Who got healed? Whose life got restored? Who's, whose life is forever changed because Jesus, the Son of God, turned some water into wine to help some people get more drunk at a wedding? I mean, what part of this is really helping any? What part of this is really changing anybody's life? But look at verse 11. I love this, man. I love the way God throws these little things in here. It's like, oh, I never saw that before. Look at verse 11. Let's read it together. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana. Of, this is the first miracle. This is what sets the tone. This is what sets the mark. We're starting. This, this is our starting point. This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in, in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Now watch this. And his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. He's just gone out and he's just asked 12 individuals, come follow me. And they left everything to follow Jesus. So I ask you a question today. What vessels was Jesus really trying to fill? What's the impact on people's lives? Who's, who, what, what's the big deal about changing water into wine at a wedding? What's the big deal? His disciples believed in him. Those same disciples that 12 chapters later in John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus makes this statement. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who, what's that word? Come on, everybody. He who believes, he who believes in me, the works, the miracles, the things that I have done, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. 
I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be doing this forever. So I'm going to do this miracle today. I'm going to have 12 individuals that have just left everything to come follow me. And they don't even know why they're following me. They're going to believe in me. And because they believe in me, they're going to be qualified to be used by me. And when I go back to my father, these 12 individuals are going to change the world. Maybe the miracle that God wants to do through your life has nothing to do with you. It's about the impact and the influence and the mark you're going to leave on somebody around you. Don't miss the opportunity to allow God to use you. Don't miss the opportunity to allow God to work something through your life. It's not about me. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not the, about how much I know. It's not about how much training or education I have. It's about God using me, and I'm going to leave a mark on your life. How many times do we miss an opportunity to be an influence to somebody else because we devalue what's in us already? What if, what if Jesus would have missed this opportunity? What if he would have written this one off and said, this doesn't even concern me, man. This, this has nothing. I just came here to have fun. I didn't come here to work. I didn't come to, I came to a wedding to have fun, sing a few songs, see somebody get married and go home. But what if you were at that moment, at that time, so God could use you to be a mark on somebody else's life. It, it, may, it may not have changed the couple. I, I don't even know if the bride and the groom, I, I don't even know if the bride and groom left that wedding that night saying, man, I'm so glad Jesus was there because if he would not have changed our, if he would have not given us some wine, uh, uh, this, this whole night would be, I, I can almost promise you they didn't care. I almost promise you are. I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but at my wedding, I didn't care if we ran out of stuff. Whatever, dude. Thanks for showing up. Peace. See ya. I'll write you a thank you note. Thanks for leaving a gift on the on the table. Thank you for signing up at my registry. That's really what you're thinking. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You ran out of soda. Sorry, man. Hope you had a good time. Well, you didn't get any chicken. I was at a wedding just this past weekend, man, and I, I finally made it to the table, and all the little cheese cubes were gone. I love cheese cubes, man. Now, I cared that there weren't any cheese cubes, but I didn't go to the groom and say, man, your wedding was terrible. You ran out of cheese cubes. I came for the cheese cubes. But you didn't come to see us get – I came for the cheese cubes, man. You ran out – this wedding was terrible. You, I, I didn't even have any cheese cubes. They're not thinking that. Whose life did Jesus really change? Chase, come on up. Whose life did Jesus really change? What was this moment really about? Was it about water being turned into wine? Or was it disciples being changed from ordinary to extraordinary? What's the change that Jesus was really making? I mean, was this really how he wants to market his ministry? Come follow me. Come follow the man that will take water and turn it into wine. You didn't get enough wine? Don't worry, Jesus. Can... Not once did he do this miracle again for anybody. We cannot devalue what God wants to do. He has saved the best for last. Aren't you thankful God has saved the best for last? You are the best that he's saved for last.
Don't devalue the pot. Don't devalue the vessel. Don't devalue what's inside the vessel. You might just have water in you today, but God wants to turn that into wine. Do not miss an opportunity to be a miracle in somebody's life. It's not about you. It's not about you. The kingdom of God is full of people, full of individuals that came out of darkness and were brought into light, that came out of evil and were brought into to, to, to the blessings of God, that came out of something horrible that was killing us and destroying us, and we came into a kingdom that now we can show the love of God. Your life is not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. You just see water today? You just see an ordinary pot? That's all right. God loves using the, the ordinary and doing something extraordinary. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are ordinary. We thank you that we, we don't have to, to meet the standard. We don't have to do something to impress you. That we have already met the standard. We have qualified ourselves. Why? Because we believe in you. And he who believes in me. These works shall he do, and even greater works. We are qualified to be used by you because we believe in you. And so, Father, I thank you right now for every individual in this room tonight. I thank you for every individual that is hearing my voice right now, that we do not uh, any longer see ordinary, we see extraordinary. We see what you see. We believe what you believe. We believe that we can do what you tell us to do. Whatever you say to do, we will do it. You didn't ask us to change it. You've only asked us to carry it. And so we now position ourselves to obey you at your word so that we can see an impact on somebody else's life as a result of obeying your word in our life. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.